Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, folks, you should know what that music means. You've made it just about to Halloween. So I hope that you've been enjoying the festive season. And on tonight's episode, I've got a very special Halloween episode for you, as I say. So I've gathered together some of my own personal tales, some tales that some excellent friends of the program have been nice enough to gather together and send in to me, and some other fitting ones that I found on the internet. So I want you to make sure you pour yourself a nice drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now on tonight's program, there'll be no news of the damned. There's just a general shout out and a thank you to all of you listening, as this is also a listener appreciation program. So to everyone, wherever you are in the world, pat yourself on the back. Thank you so much for supporting me. Thank you for listening to me. I really do appreciate you taking the time. That's why I wanted to put out this extra special Halloween program for you. So a little bit of a bonus episode for you. Now, just to give you a bit of a background, folks, I've been doing this spooky, unexplained, strange, Illinois tales for you. And I'll be doing 15 more next week. or Well, actually 16 more when you count in the bonus one. But now in the middle here, that's why I wanted to have an extra special show leading up to Halloween. Give you some real ghost stories, some that I've been involved in, some that others have been involved in. Some of the places that I heard were rather spooky or haunted in and around the area where I grew up. Now, there are certain friends of the program who are definitely going to want to listen extra carefully because there are tales very close to where certain listeners of the program grew up as well and went to school. And also to my listeners in Chicagoland, I've actually got a few tales for you from Chicago as well. So with all that being said, as I say, thank you so much for listening. I really do hope all the best to you, your families, your loved ones for the, for the Halloween season and the rest of the year. And now we're going to get into it. So I've got a list of a few places that I haven't personally been to but that I've heard some really freaky tales from. The first one was actually quite interesting because I left Illinois in 1996, and I was living in Southern California. And that's uh, those are some tales for another time. Probably next Halloween, you'll get the California tales because I've got some really good ones from there as well. Well, anyway... Uh, a few years after I'd moved there, so I think it would have been about maybe 97, I was working two jobs, and one of those jobs was at, uh, you know, kind of a senior home, and I was working in the kitchen cooking meals. So it was very similar to, like, the school gymnasium, you know, back in the day when you used to go into the school cafeteria, get your lunch, and then go and sit at the tables. And you had these seniors that would come in and, you know, pick up their meals and then go out and sit down. And I left that job on very bad terms because uh, the, the person that I reported to actually picked me up off the ground and choked me and threatened to kill me. But that's another story for, for another program and uh, a story where I probably need some psychological help, to be honest. 
But anyway, the people that were there, these seniors, they were some really lovely people, and I got to know a few of them. And one of the guys, he always used to call me, you know, he always used to call me Johnny. And, you know, we got to talking one day, and he goes, oh, you're not from around here, are you? I can tell from your accent. And I said, well, no, you know, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, and I lived a, a long while up in that area. But uh, I told him I also lived in Illinois before I moved to California. And he kind of peeked up one eyebrow and he said, Illinois, huh? He goes, oh, so you're a Chicago man. And I said, no, no, I'm not from Chicago. And he said to me, well, I'm going to tell you. He goes, I lived many years in Chicago and I've got a story to tell you. And he said that he lived in Forest Park, Illinois, which is in the Chicago area. And he said that he lived quite close to the Woodlawn Cemetery. Now, I'd never heard of this before until uh, this old fellow mentioned it. I think his name was Sal. And he said he lived there during after the war, so, you know, in the 50s. And he said in the 50s and 60s, and then in the mid-60s, he moved to Southern California. Well, he said that, you know, when he first got back uh, from the war, he lived in Chicago. And he said that, you know, in about 50 or 51, he ended up buying this home that was quite close by to the Woodlawn Cemetery. And it was quite a good deal, he said. Even back then, he goes, you know, it was probably 20 or 30% less than the other houses in the, you know, that he'd kind of been looking at. And it was quite a nice house, little two-bedroom house, and and he thought it was really nice. So, you know, he, he decided to buy it with his uh, brother, and he moved in. And, you know, he thought he was drinking a bit too much, he told me. He said, you know, he goes, oh, I was still young. You know, I was in my early 20s. You know, I like to drink. I like to uh, kind of be a man about town. But he said that he kept hearing these weird noises. And, you know, he thought it was just him. And, you know, he wasn't originally from Chicago. He'd gone there because his brother went there after the war. So he didn't really know the area that well. And so... Sal told me, you know, he kept wondering where the hell this circus was or the zoo. And, you know, it was quite strange to him. So finally one day, you know, he was he he'd went down to the the supermarket or whatever to get some stuff. And he came home and he saw one of his neighbors out in the yard and he asked her, it was an older lady, you know, he said she was probably about 45 or 50. And he said to her, excuse me, ma'am, I've got a question. And she said, what's that? And he goes, where's the zoo? And she really looked at him kind of strangely, and she said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, there's a zoo or circus nearby, isn't there? And she said, um, no, there's not, son. And she goes, but let me guess, you've heard them. And he said, as soon as she said this, the hairs stood up on the back of his arms, hearing her say, you've heard them. And he said to me, he just looked at me, and this was a really friendly, really, you know, outgoing guy and he just looked at me and he said she knew exactly what I was talking about Johnny and what Sal told me was that every evening you know I don't know how many of you who have been in the Midwest or in quite a warm area but you know you leave your windows open at night to kind of let the breeze come in and especially back then you weren't nearly as scared of the uh, of violent crimes and that so Sal told me that every evening you know he'd go to sleep and he'd wake up later on, so, you know, he might wake up between kind of one and three, and he would be hearing these noises. And these noises were things like, you know, sounded like kind of uh, muffled crowd noises, and, you know, he would hear things like, uh, you know, like a bell. 
But he said the one thing that he kept hearing and why he was so sure that there was a circus or a zoo nearby was he kept hearing the elephants. And so when the lady turned around and said to him, you hear them too, don't you? And he looked right at her and he goes, you mean the elephants? And the lady shook her head up and down. And she said, son, don't you know why that house was empty for three or four years? And he said, no, why? She said, well, in 1918, there was a train wreck. There was a circus train full of animals and people, and it wrecked. And she said that they dug a mass grave at the Woodlawn Cemetery. And uh, uh, as I've done research for the show, it was between 60 and 110 employees were killed when another train conductor fell asleep. So she said that the family that was there before Sal and his brother had bought the house were just tired of it because uh, their young son kept waking up the parents in the middle of the night to want to go and see the elephants or go and see the lions. He could hear lions. And so this really creeped Sal out. But he decided, you know, the house was such a good deal. He wasn't going to be in a rush to get out of it. Now, he never, you know, he told me he never saw anything. He didn't see any ghostly elephants or anything like this. But he said about three or four years later went by and um, his brother decided to, you know, move somewhere else. I think he said he moved to Ohio. And so him and Sal, Sal sold the house because they'd gone in halves on it. And he moved to another part of Chicago. But this was really an interesting tale. And he told me this. And I'm going to tell you the truth, folks. Again, this was the days, the early days of the Internet when he told me this tale. So about 1997. And I really didn't have a way to corroborate it. But. You know, this story looks to be very true, you know, from what I've read on the Internet. So anyway, you know, this train conductor fell asleep. He caused the train to strike the circus train. So the train he was in hit the circus train. Many of the victims' names were not known. So some of the markers say things like unidentified male or baldy or four-horse driver. Today, the section is still used for burials of circus showmen. The cemetery is rumored to be haunted. Locals say the sound of phantom elephants can be heard at night. And this is exactly what Sal told me about all those years ago. So take it for what it's worth, folks. But, you know, this gentleman, he was a really nice gentleman. And I don't see any reason why he would lie to me. So, you know, take it for what it is. But, you know, this is a tale from, you know, he, he told me they bought that house in about 5051. So he heard it way back then. Now, the next one, folks, is from an area... Uh, sorry, I'll give you a bit of a background first. So where I went to school and, and kind of lived in Illinois is an area called Montgomery County. And back then, this county only had 14,000 people in it. And there are listeners to the show who, you know, know, know this area very well. Some very near and dear friends. And, uh, you know, I lived in a very small town. We had 82 people, 82 people. But we went to school uh, about four miles away in another small town that had about 2,500 people. And when we first moved to Illinois from the Northwest, I lived my first year in the town where I went to school. So kind of north of these towns, you know, not too far, only about, you know, 12, 15 miles, is another town called Taylorville. Now, I'd heard tales of this place in Taylorville, but again, I've never been there. And it's called the Anderson Cemetery or Cemetery X. And it says, according to tales told about this cemetery, there's a secret passage that opens up at night. 
when trees part and a path appears to an ancient graveyard. It's said to be protected by a phantom wolf who chases trespassers. The cemetery is not to be confused with another Anderson graveyard. So anyway, folks, you know, I never went there, and I had plans to go to some of these places that I'm going to discuss with friends, and they all they all kind of fell through. But this one, uh, I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd kind of heard whisperings about there being this graveyard in, uh, or cemetery in, outside of Taylorville that was haunted. But, you know, that's about as far as my knowledge of it went at that time. Now, the next one is pretty infamous in this area of Illinois, and this is in Tower Hill, which is the Ridge Cemetery. Now, I'll read kind of what goes on there, and then I'll give you, you know, my tie-in with it. So, Ridge Cemetery at a Williamsburg Hill is said to be visited by apparitions, eerie lights, and a disappearing old man. Phantom crowds and horses also have been seen and heard around the area. Rumors of sinister cult activity surround this place as well, and one report tells of a three-year-old girl who went missing and was found walking halfway to the cemetery. She told her mother that the people who live in the ground wanted her to stay with them. Now look, folks, um, as I'm reading this to you, I'm actually getting goosebumps, and and I feel the hair standing up on uh, on edge, so... Yeah, it is something else, and we had plans to go there. Um, as with a lot of people, as I, you know, got into being a teenager, I started, you know, kind of feeling myself out, and I started doing a lot of drinking and um, got into a few drugs, not uh, anything super heavy, but I had friends who definitely got into things like LSD and that, and that was kind of the thing was that we were going to go there under the influence. I've got some other, you know, kind of equally freaky tales of things that happened while we were under the influence of things, but not at that cemetery. But nevertheless, you know, I've heard a lot of creepy things from that place over the years, and it's not a place that I personally would have wanted to. I, you know, at that age, you know, kind of 14, 15, 16, I'm, I'm kind of glad when I look back at it that I didn't go is what I'm trying to say. Now, the next one here is for my listener, Scott, in Missouri. So, Scott, this is for you. And this and several of these other tales are from ghostsofamerica.com. And I'll try and point out the ones that are. Now, Fillmore, Illinois is apparently is an apparently regular location while the sun shines. But there are ghosts in this town, and they come into view in the moonlight hours. The undead are everywhere in this town as the residents will disclose. Doubters don't have faith in the local ghost reports, but the ghosts of Fillmore are out tonight seeking someone to scare. So it, it's a bit of a laugh because uh, Scott spent a lot of time in Fillmore, and, uh, you know, I've never heard of any ghosts in Fillmore, but I just found the, um, if you go on each of these small towns and click on it, they'll have a similar kind of entry for each town. Sadly, they didn't have the town where I lived. I did look for it, but there wasn't anything. But I've got my own personal ghost story from there for you. So now, Nokomis is the town that I went to school in, and a lot of my other friends that got bussed in from all over the county went to. And I did find some tales from Nokomis. Now, these are stories from this website, ghostsofamerica.com. These aren't mine. 
So here's the first one. We own a house in Nokomis on the north end of town. I'm really familiar with that area because that's where the school was. We constantly hear people walking and people touch us. One entity is sweet and kind. There are multiple entities in the basement, two angry and one that seems to be a scared child. We hear music coming from the basement and in the attic there is at least one. And that was submitted by Pamela. Now the next one here is, it says, by far the most haunted location I have ever been is in the nursing home in Nokomis. And I'm going to have my own story about that later on. It houses much energy, most of which is negative. Shadows will be seen moving down the hall, darting into a doorway across the hall with such force that privacy curtains sway as it passes. Both patients and staff have reported sightings. We have experienced a masculine figure, all black, standing over beds, door alarms sounding off, and doors slamming open and shut in the night. We have reports of seeing children playing in the far hallway. One can, at times, hear their running footsteps coming down the hall, but upon looking, there is nothing there. Objects have been thrown on their own. There are reports of hearing whispers and feeling the breath of the whisperer on one's jaw or neck, with no one else present. These things are just a few of the activities and presences seen. And that was submitted by Anonymous. Now, the next one. And I'll tell you what, folks, this is pretty freaky because there's all these kind of tie-ins. So it says, Caps Avenue is haunted. Now, when we first moved to Illinois, as I said, we lived in Nokomis. And guess what street we lived on? We lived on Caps Avenue. So it's a bit creepy to me that this comes up again. So it says, Caps Avenue is haunted. I lived there for a year with my mother. There is real evil in that house. We slept downstairs in the living room because the house was active all night. We woke up one night to the heaviest smell of cigarettes in the house, and nobody in the house smoked. We ended up moving from there because we were so scared. You would see black shadows walking through the house and voices. I woke up to a guy standing in the doorway of the kitchen, and I cried and turned my head, and he told me to get out. Submitted by Tyler. Now, folks, um, I don't recall anything going on in or around the house in Nokomis, but I have heard other tales of other people in town. And a lot of these towns in Illinois are, you know, they've been, they've had people living in or around them for kind of 200 years now, pretty close, a lot of them, 150 to 200 years. So it's no surprise they built up a lot of history. So here's the last one from Nokomis, and it says, I have lived in two haunted homes in Nokomis on the north side of town. I've heard footsteps running up the stairs when I was alone in my home. I heard heavy footsteps all night and a loud dragging like a dresser across the upstairs all night. When I slept upstairs, I have felt a hand on me that nudged me and bumped me physically. Once I woke up in the night and saw a man staring at me from the foot of the stairs, and that was submitted by Sue. Now, again, I can only imagine because I was born a male and I'm still a male. But, you know, for females, it must be really intimidating to see something like this, especially in the middle of the night and in your home, you know, not outside, but actually in your home. It's got to be freaky. Now, from the town of Hillsborough, which is on one end of the county. Now, I spent a good bit of my last few years there in Hillsborough because my parents uh, leased a floating marina on a lake and we had you know kind of we sold beer and supplies and we had a kitchen and 
you know, I cooked in the kitchen and, you know, flip burgers and things like that. And so, you know, I know Hillsboro pretty well. And at that time, I don't know what it is now, but at that time, Hillsboro had about 4,000 people. So there is this area and I've heard of it before, but I never got to spend time there. We talked about going, but we never did. So I've got a couple of stories about this road and it's called the Seven Sisters Road. So the first one here says, some of my friends and I have been on the Seven Sisters Road, both in the day and at night. Believe me when I say the road can be scary at both times. In the day, I have witnessed people appearing out of nowhere and feeling my truck run over them. But when I stopped to help them, no one was there. I've hunted the woods along this road, and I've witnessed a huge buck deer get shot and run a short distance and then disappear in front of my buddies and me. At night, it just gets scarier. There's a phantom car that follows you down the road and then disappears. A huge animal has been known to grab your vehicle if you go slowly down the road with your lights off. I know for sure the land that used to be the old Arnie farm and the farm past it on the left on top of the biggest hill are haunted big time. And that's submitted by Gene. G-E-N-E, so I'm assuming that's a man. So here's the other tale about Seven Sisters. Many of my friends and I have been on the road known as the Seven Sisters. It is a well-known road in Hillsboro, mostly for jumping its hills. But some of us that are brave enough have gone out at night and drove down it very slowly. We have seen vehicles' lights right behind us. Then it just disappears. And no, there wasn't a drive to turn off of in the area. It disappeared. One of my friends said he was invited to a place on the Seven Sisters and was scared to death when a man appeared and told him to get off his land. He knew he was being yelled at by a ghost because his lower half because the lower half of his body was missing. Now that's pretty freaky, folks, and um, I've got no shame in saying if that happened to me, especially when I was a teenager, I probably would have pissed myself. Now, for a very special listener of the show, who's also provided some stories, I've got a few here for you from Mawequa, which is a very small town. So it says, the first one here says, I live in an old slave house on West Madison Street with the back stairwell. It burned down years ago and was rebuilt. I hear crying in my hallway upstairs where my room is. A good friend of mine lived there before me and is known to be levitating in his sleep. My friends and I have seen him levitate ourselves. You can hear the little girl crying in the hallway. I've not heard it in a while, but when I do, it gets closer and closer to my room. Last Friday night, she shut off my lights in my bathroom. But the weird thing is the light bulbs in my bathroom are all blown and don't work. I'm setting up night vision cameras around my hallway and the back stairwell to see if anything goes on. I'm also putting foot powder on the stairwell to see if it leaves footprints. What should I do if the test comes back positive for ghosts in my own home? Submitted by Brett. I'll tell you what you should do, Brett. You should move the hell out. And this next one here is also from Mawequa. And this is almost like a, you know, like a newspaper little blurb. It says, cited on 9-1309, blonde-haired female in white blouse with what appears to be a red choker collar, cited an old firehouse restaurant and auction center. Approximately 2.30 to 3 a.m., restaurant had been closed for several hours. And folks, I worked in hospitality for quite a while, and I heard tales about this, different restaurants, different hotels. They'd kind of try and keep it quiet, especially back then, because you wouldn't want to spook guests. But you would hear these tales about, you know, especially staff locking up 
or staff opening up in the morning and there being odd things going on. I know uh, in one small town in Illinois, a friend of mine used to work and he used to work at a movie theater and up the street there was a restaurant that had been there since the 1910s and he said that he had you know a guy it wasn't a friend that he grew up with or anything but he got to know him you know living in this small town and he said that the one the one day the uh you know the guy came down and he really looked you know he was really disheveled and you know he looked like he'd gone through a breakup or something so my buddy asked him hey uh what's going on man um and he said that that night before he had locked up the the restaurant and went to leave and he turned around and you know he started walking to, towards his car and he heard a noise and he turned around and he looked and there was someone in the restaurant and he said this made no sense because you know the restaurant was locked uh he turned on the alarm and you know there was no way someone could be in there without setting off the motion detectors well he turned around and he went back he put his key in the lock and the door was unlocked and he said that was enough for him he couldn't sleep all night and so you know you hear these different stories and oftentimes people try and keep them hush hush uh, especially back then because you know people would look at you like you know you had problems and and like i say like i've said with some of the ufo shows it's all well and good to say oh well you know i would tell that story but when you live in a small town and that's all you know and that's everyone that's around you you don't want people calling you crazy and ignoring you, not hiring you, not selling you things like that because they think you're a loon, you know? So it's got to be quite difficult. And he was lucky he confided in my friend. And my friend said he went back to work at the restaurant and he asked if he could work day shifts and they obliged him for a while. And then after six months or so, he had to move on. But anyway, just a real, you know, interesting little story. And I remember that that was a few years after I'd left Illinois, but I kept in touch with this friend of mine and talked to him and he told me this story. Now the next story here is from Pena, which is which was kind of, you know, you had Nokomis where we went to school. And then if you wanted to go to kind of the little bigger town, you would go to Pena, which was about eight miles away. So, you know, big distance. And it says, I once rented an apartment in a home that was separated into four different apartments. It was a big pink home on the corner of Kitchell Street. On several occasions, I saw a woman in white with red hair walk across the living room. I thought I was losing my mind until a roommate had a similar experience. I had come home late one night to him sleeping in the living room with all of the lights on. He said he had heard footsteps, and then this woman was standing over him while he was lying in bed. My cats would hiss and meow randomly at night. I often came home to the shower running and my bed unmade. So... That's a pretty freaky one there, folks, and not something I'd like to run into. So the city of Decatur, when I was growing up in Illinois, you know, was a decent sized city. It had about 40,000 people, and I looked it up tonight uh, in preparation for the program just to see how many there are now. And there are about 70,000 people there, so, you know, it's a decent sized city. Well, Decatur has a long history of haunted buildings, houses, and commercial buildings, and, you know, Decatur had not one, but two different haunted theaters. One of them is the Avon Theater, which is an old movie theater that goes back to the early 1900s. And apparently people like Houdini have been there, Bob Hope, several other famous uh, actors and comedians and 
showmen as they did these tours through the Midwest. Now, the one that I'm a bit more familiar with is the Lincoln Square Theater. Now, right now it's closed and it has been closed for quite a while. But when I was in high school, we actually went and took a field trip there. It was either middle school or high school, but I think it was my early years of high school. Well, anyway, we went to the Lincoln Square Theater and I remember it had a, a, a really beautiful stage, you know, uh, definitely, you know, gave you the idea that you were in a in a grand grand theater, you know, and when it was built, it was very upscale. It was built in 1916 and, you know, it was considered Art Nouveau at the time and it was a really beautiful building inside and out. Well, anyway, there have long been stories of there being ghosts in this building. And one of the really interesting things to me was that, uh, you know, having gone to the Lincoln Square Theater, uh, when we went and did our tour, you know, we were really going for the whole English type of thing, you know, to kind of see where plays are put on and that. But they did mention to us at the time that the theater was believed to be haunted. And they took us in the back, away from the stage, you know, in the back area, and they turned off the lights and basically said, you know, just stand back here a few minutes and see if you hear anything. And sure enough, we heard some unexplained noises. Now, a lot of people would put it down to this just being an old building, and and maybe that's true. But I'll tell you what, uh, it was definitely a creepy area to be back in by yourself. And there have been several stories of, you know, people passing away in the building, whether in the audience or in the cast and crew, you know, different people having heart attacks or, you know, just being ill and passing away in the theater and that they still haunt the theater to this day. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's definitely one of the more haunted areas that I've been around. I just, again, I just had that feeling that there was definitely something going on there. And again, you know, very cool feeling in the back of the, theater in the area we were in. And again, for those of you who live or have lived in the Midwest, you know that your summers are quite hot and humid. And so you don't get that real cool feeling unless you're underground. And this theater is obviously all above ground. Well, anyway, you know, it was it was a fascinating building and just another kind of brick in the wall of all of these haunted buildings all over Illinois and, uh, you know, a lot of them that I'm familiar with in the middle part of the state. So, you know, if you ever get a chance and you want to know a bit more about it, that's the Lincoln Square Theater in Decatur. And the other one that's purportedly haunted, as I say, is the Avon Theater. And I'm sorry, I got it wrong, folks. The Lincoln Square one was the one that had Houdini and Bob Hope and several others. And uh, the Avon, as I said, is an old movie theater that, uh, to my understanding, is still open today. You can still go there and watch movies. So I've got one here for you folks that's quite an old one. And I heard this story before I left Illinois and I actually, I knew I had it around somewhere and I managed to find it. So I don't know how true this one is, of course, just like any of these, but this one is a bit more, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a friend of a friend type of thing. But at least I knew a bit more about this one. The other ones, like I say, most of the ones that I read before, uh, I just found on that website. They just happen to be in this area. So I spent a lot of my formative years kind of going back and forth between where I lived. And my one of my best friends had family in Assumption, Illinois. Yes, that's a real town. You can look it up. Um, 
and it's it's quite a small town, but we spent a lot of time up there, and most of my weekends, for many years, I spent in Assumption. Well, this takes part in and around there, and this one is a tale about a dog man, and this happened in Christian County, which is where Assumption is, and it happened in 1991. So it says, a friend of mine had moved south to work with his uncle. Things didn't work out, so he called and wanted to know if I would pick him up at the bus station in Springfield. And again, for those of you that don't know, Springfield is kind of the the big smoke in that part of the state. So, you know, like if you want to go to the bus station or whatever, you'd have to go to Springfield. I told him, sure. The day he came back, his bus wasn't due until 1.30 a.m., when it showed up, he was starving, so we headed up the road to Steak and Shake. Man, I miss Steak and Shake. It was good. While we were eating, some girls showed up. After a night of partying, so the girls turned up, you know, probably to sober up a bit and, uh, you know, have some food and coffee. He says, we stayed around and talked with them for a while. Well, by the time we left, my friend wanted to see if we could swing by one of his old girlfriend's houses before she went to work. He wanted to see if he could stay with her for a while. I didn't have anything to do the next day, so I told him that would be fine. She lived in Assumption. To get there, we headed back to Taylorville. Then instead of heading on to Pena, where I lived, we would cut across through the country to get to Assumption. And that's right. To do this, you have to go out by Burdinetti Lake. At that time, they had just started developing the place for housing, so it was semi-rural with woods around the lake and the road we were on. So here we are driving and just about to cross a bridge when this huge canine type thing comes running out of the woods to our right. There were good sized freshly dug ditches on each side of the highway. This thing jumped from the bottom of the right ditch, cleared the highway and landed on the backside of the left ditch. Now folks, for those of you who don't know, I'm just picturing it in my mind. Jesus, that's gotta be a good, ooh, 20 feet, 15, 20 feet, easy. Then it ran into the woods. It happened so fast, I didn't even have time to hit the brakes before it was already gone. I know some would say it was just a dog that surprised us, but we both agreed it was too big. Besides, I don't know of any dogs that can jump that far. I remember it had gray and light brown fur. It was very bulky and muscular. It was also on all fours. We decided that we didn't need to hang around the area and sped up. We told our friends, but they just laughed it off. Whatever we both knew, whatever, we both knew what we saw. Years later, I was looking on the BFRO website. I'm, I'm not sure what that is. I saw there were two sightings reported that took place about a mile to the east from where our encounter happened. When I first read the woman's report years ago, she said it took off running on all fours and was wolf-like. I see now someone has changed their story to sound more like a Bigfoot. However, her sighting and another reported after hers say that this was where Highway 48 crosses the South Fork of the Sangamon River. Follow the river back east until you see Lincoln Trail Road. That is the bridge we were at. It seems like it uses the river bottom to stay hidden. Also, there are all kinds of housing additions there now. I went to their community-wide garage sales there a few times. It seems as though a lot of cats and dogs go missing in that area. Posters were up everywhere. Well, I know it was a little long-winded, but that's my encounter. So that's quite a fascinating one, folks. And again, you know, 
it's bad enough being out in the woods and running into something like a bobcat or a, or a coyote or a, a wolf or a mountain lion, but I sure as hell wouldn't want to run into a dog, man. So I've got another one here for specifically for my Chicagoland listeners. And I found this one quite interesting because I had a friend who told me about this quite a while ago, but I didn't actually know a lot about it. And this, uh, this actually came in, somebody emailed me and said, you know, asked me, you know, JT, have you ever heard of Bachelor's Grove? And I, you know, I didn't, it's, that's quite a common name you would think. Uh, but this is actually in the Chicago area. So Nicole and Noel, you know, make sure that you listen to this and anyone else listening in Chicago, because it might be somewhere you want to go to. And he sent me, uh, he, he or she, it was an anonymous email, so I'm not sure who it was, but they sent me these, uh, these details about it. So it says, nestled in a forest in Midlothian, Illinois, the story surrounding it precedes the known history. Originally started as a cemetery to bury those without families or single men around the 1840s, there were over 60 burial plots, and not even half of them were ever sold or filled. Oddly enough, there's really not any solid records of anyone who is buried there. Even the name of the cemetery is disputed. The land itself is very, very eerie. To even get to the cemetery, you have to travel down a road that was once an old turnpike road. Eventually, this road was shut down, and it was sectioned off from the main road with a curb and a sign that hangs in front of the entrance. Actually, walking down this road, however, is a challenge in, it, in and of itself. I remember the first time I went. It was about 11 or so at night, and we had a couple of buddies. It was a super muggy warm night, I'd say about 80 degrees or so. As soon as we made our way down the deteriorating asphalt road, you get this sudden feeling of being watched. And I've had that feeling before, folks, and it's creepy. On top of this, the temperature almost immediately drops when you go down the road. The humidity seemed to disappear, and the temperature easily dropped 10 to 15 degrees. Now, that's not such a bad thing for those of you who go through those Midwestern summers, you would know. As soon as you make your way to the end of the path, you're greeted by the cemetery's entrance. The gate surrounding it is in disrepair, heavily rusted from being in a forest for so long. The overgrowth of the wild grass and other plants show that the cemetery has been almost completely overtaken by nature. Once inside, you start to realize that there's really only a few grave sites, tons of space between each one. I even remember seeing the grave of the infamous white lady who was photographed sitting on her headstone. In the middle of the cemetery, almost a focal point, is the gravesite of a young child. Anyone visiting will usually bring some sort of children's trinket to lay on the headstone and surrounding grave. Although I did hear that there's no one actually buried in the cemetery anymore. Once people were digging up graves and stealing headstones, families then came to retrieve the remains of their loved ones. I've also heard tons of other stories about the cemetery. The Al Capone used it as a dumping ground for his enemies. Satanic rituals, Piano wire hanging at neck level so when people run scared through the forest, they're cut swiftly by the taut wire. The Phantom Cars, which, by the way, has to be the scariest shit ever. I can't even imagine walking down that road, scared shitless as it is, then seeing a car coming towards you with its brights on. Anyways, legally speaking, you can't be in there at night. It's a part of the Forest Preserve, so it's under the jurisdiction of Forest Preserve Police, and they are unequivocally dickheads. 
<laughs> they will go out of their way to spend their entire shift just watching the entrance of the cemetery and then giving out trespassing tickets. If you really want to go in, go during the day. If you want to go in at night, I look at the field that's parallel to the entrance. You should see a patrol car in the grass way back to the opposite forest line. If you don't, you're going, you're good to go. I've been in there and there's definitely some weird shit going on. I can't remember a time I went where I didn't feel very panicky and constantly looking over my shoulder. I also recorded a few EVPs as well, with one being a metal-on-metal -metal sound while we were using a Ouija board in the path. Dumb, I know. As if someone had a metal hammer and directly hit a part of the fence. Well, folks, that, that one is quite freaky. And, um, yeah, um, I think a lot of that, you know, I'm not saying that these things aren't real or people don't have these feelings, but it, you know, you do wonder how much of it is our subconscious and we get psyched up because you hear these stories and everything else. But nonetheless, it's quite freaky and it's the perfect Halloween tale for you. Now I've got some more personal ones for you that I'm going to cover over. So I've got some personal ones and then I've got a couple of excellent tales from one of the closest friends of the show that I'm going to read, and then I'm going to finish up with my best ghost story for you. So now you know how they were talking uh, earlier in that story about the nursing home in Nokomis. Well, that's called the Golden Manor Nursing Home, and my mother worked there for several years. Nursing homes in general, I've seen a lot of feedback and kind of stories about nursing homes because of some of the negative you know, energy that goes on around the nursing homes, people being there that don't really want to be there and everything else. Now, even back when I was in school and we were living there, so, you know, this is in the early 90s, there were tales going around about, you know, there being hauntings or odd things going on at the nursing home. So I fully agree with that. Now, I did ask my mom a few times about it. And, you know, I just said to her, you know, is there kind of odd things that go on? And she said, yes, there had been different odd things go on. My mom was pretty matter-of-factly, okay? Uh, she was a straight shooter. She didn't necessarily think that people were stupid or crazy if they saw such things, but she was one of those kind of seeing-is-believing type people. Now, mom said that more than once, you know, you would have things go like uh, you would leave a room and you might be in another room, let's say, and you could see the light under the door from the room behind you. And you would see that light go off. And then when you got ready to go back into the room, the light would come back on or vice versa. You might turn the light off. The light would be on and you would go to open the door to see what the hell was going on. And the light would be off. And she said it was especially in things like the, the cleaning cupboards and where you kept the cleaning supplies in that. There were other instances that, uh, you know, things did occur. Now, um, mom had some good friends who she said had things a bit odder go on, like, you know, hearing things and that, but mom didn't necessarily hear it. But, you know, she said they were good, reputable people. And mom always said to me that, you know, like I say, with all the negativity surrounding nursing homes and people passing away there and everything else, uh, she was not would not be one bit surprised if there was you know, kind of a, a ghostly presence that was left behind. Now, the next one here, when we first moved from Nokomis into the small town that, that I lived in after, which is a, a town called Ullman, we lived in a small two-bedroom house 
uh, as you first went into town and you would go across the railroad tracks. And we lived in that house and it wasn't a necessarily a really old house, but I'll tell you what, the basement was freaky as hell. Every time that, you know, we had kind of flooding in that in the basement, it would be freaky. And there were a few times I went into that basement alone when my parents weren't there and I could swear I'd see something out of the corner of my eye or I would hear something. And there was only one way in and out. This was not a basement that had like windows or anything. It was just a set of stairs that went down. And I can still picture the house, even though it doesn't exist in my mind. You came in the front door and just as you came in the front door, there were the stairs down to the basement. And then there was the kitchen and then there was the front room and then the two bedrooms at the back of the front room. Now, back, you know, back then and now, even more importantly, with what's been going on with the weather, uh, you know, every house, basically, you need to have a basement because of tornadoes. And we had to go in there a few times and hide out. And uh, I don't know if it was just me, you know, being a teenager and being home alone, being a bit spooked out. But um, that house always gave off kind of eerie vibes. But that house is now completely gone and the lot is filled. So it's just basically got grass growing on it. So uh, there's no way to really kind of test that out, even if I uh, felt so inclined. And then um, there was a place uh, outside of that town, Pena. If you drove south of Pena, you started getting out into the country a bit more. And out in that area, there's an area called the Twin Arches. Now, what this was is it's two tunnels and a railroad bridge going over the top. Now, one of the tunnels had the nearby stream or, or, or creek that would run through. And the other, which was the raised tunnel, which had a platform on top, that was the roadway. And, you know, when, when I was a teenager, when I got to be into my later teens, like I said, you know, we were drinking and carousing and that, we would go out there and hang out at night. And there were a few times that we would hear sounds and noises that we really couldn't explain. Now, again, we were teenagers. I don't know what they were. It could have been animals or something, I guess. But I'll tell you, at the time, uh, it was pretty freaky. And this is with three or four of us hanging around out there. Um, it wasn't something that I would want to do by myself, I can tell you that. Because you get out there in the country and it's just pitch dark. You know, there's nothing around unless another car comes along. So, um, yeah, that, you know, and that is a kind of a well-known, uh, you know, landmark in the area. You can't really find much about it online. I did find one video on YouTube if you wanted to go and look about what I'm talking about. But if you think about any kind of side-by-side -side kind of big culvert with a road tunnel and then uh, a tunnel for the water to run through, that's all it was. And I'd heard rumors about uh, a phantom train and that, uh, you know, there'd been a train that had run off the rails there. But as far as I can tell, that's just a complete urban legend. Now, you know, another one is um, I had, you know, at this time, you know, I started hanging out with friends of friends and that, and we got up to some pretty silly, stupid, you know, crap, as many teenagers do, especially boys, it seems. And we decided one day to take a road trip. And I stayed up four or five straight days, like, you know, all day, all night. And we were just, you know, getting up to no good drinking and, you know, doing other things and, you know, nothing really violent or anything, but, you know, just really not doing anything positive. And we decided to go and visit this friend's grandma. 
And I've had a bit of a look online, and the best I can work out is it's kind of in the southeast part of Illinois, kind of around kind of Effingham, kind of in that area. Now, we went and visited her on her property, and, you know, she didn't live in town. She lived out in the country. And my friend had this stupid idea that he wanted to go follow this stream, and we were going to go and find some ditchweed. Now, if you don't know what ditchweed is, it's basically wild marijuana. And, you know, being teenagers and not having money, um, you know, we thought, oh, well, we got nothing else to do. We'll go for a wander out here. Now, it was fall, I remember, fall or autumn. And uh, we walked down this stream. And, you know, like I said, I, at this point, I'd probably been up two or three days by myself, uh, you know, no sleep. And I was pretty bored because these guys are arguing about, oh, we're going to go, you know, we walked a good 10 miles out in the country. And then these guys are saying, oh, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to go here and we're going to go there. And they were all kind of talking about where they were going to go. And I just took off. I just started wandering around. Right. You know, in retrospect, this is fucking stupid that I did this. But I just started walking. You know, I started climbing these hills and that. And I thought, oh, well, it'll be easy to find my way back. But the problem was that there were multiple streams that were all kind of flowing uh, through these ridges or these hills. And so, you know, you could be in one stream and, and, and looking up and down and you think you're there, but you might be one ridge over or two ridges over. And sure enough, you know, it started getting darker and darker and darker. And next thing you know, I'm out here in these woods in southern Illinois by myself. I've got nothing with me. I basically just had what we used to call a flannel jacket, but it's just basically like a padded shirt. I had on that a pair of shoes, pants. I don't even think I had a lighter with me. And I was out in the woods and, you know, I kind of heard some noises I didn't really like. And, uh, you know, this whole area just kind of creeped me out. Now, I don't know if it's because it was the first time I'd been in the area or I was so far from home or what. Now, me personally... I don't know how to describe it, but from what I can understand, I'm more an empath than anything. When there's kind of odd things going on, I tend to feel it more. I notice things like temperature. Uh, I feel it's things like I get a gut feeling. I don't necessarily see and hear so much as feel. And I definitely had this feeling, like I said, that I was being watched, that it was quite odd, and, you know, I wanted to get out of there. Now, I found this large tree that had fallen over, and I was laying on it, and I was contemplating. I was just going to kind of hunker down and sleep and get up in the morning. And, you know, I did this for about a half an hour, and I said, oh, the hell with it. I'll find my way out of here. So I kind of walked along. I found a fence line, and I could see a farmhouse with lights on, and I almost went up to the house, and I said, nah, nah, never mind. And eventually, lo and behold, miracle of miracles, folks, I managed to find my way back to my friend's grandma's house. And they had just went into town to get the sheriffs to come out and look for me on the ATVs. And they told me, I told them where I was. And, you know, I was thinking about going and, and looking at uh, going up to this house and knocking on the door. And they said, oh, it's a good thing that you didn't. You know, they those guys are well known for shooting people, shooting anybody that trespasses on their land. So, you know, um, yeah, as I've often said, there's a guardian angel that looks after me. But... Um, you know, I did ask his grandma, I said, is there anything kind of weird out in the woods or anything that I should, you know, 
you know, know about, or is there anything kind of wandering around out there that you'd like to tell me about? And she just seemed really nervous and didn't say anything. Now, again, I don't know. I mean, this is in the area of a lot of these stories that I've told you from Illinois. Maybe they knew something. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was just, you know, they had a, uh, maybe they were growing weed out there or something. And, you know, she didn't want me to know about it. But anyway, you know, that's my tale about getting lost in Southern Illinois. And I can tell you, it's a spooky hell of a place. And it's not the type of place that you want to go wandering around in alone. And as you listen to some more of these Southern Illinois stories, it should help you with that background. It's quite scary out there. So uh, the next one here is I had a friend of mine that, that, you know, this friend I was hanging out with all through this time. And then later on, as we got a bit older, we kind of went our own ways. Well, in the small town that I lived in, uh, my friend lived not too far away from the house that I would eventually move into. And even from the place that we first lived in, it was probably only um, half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile away. But that house, they swore, him and his mom both, and his mom was a pretty straight shooter. They both swore that that house was haunted. And, you know, his mom said that on more than one occasion, she heard a man's voice. She said that she didn't like going upstairs if no one was home, because as soon as she started going up the stairs, the hair would stand up on the back of her neck. And so oftentimes, if my friend or his sister weren't home, she wouldn't go upstairs, even if she heard noises. So, and for what it's worth, I went and looked at that house online uh, tonight, and that house is all boarded up. So I do find that quite interesting. It doesn't mean that there's any correlation with it. They moved out of the house before I left town. But, um, you know, I do find it quite interesting that it's all boarded up now. Um, yeah, so there was that house. And then also his mom lived in a house in the town that I went to school in later on, um, you know, near the end of me, you know, being in Illinois. And that house as well. She just said there was something about it. She didn't know if the the entity followed her from the first house or if, you know, she just had bad luck. But I have heard stories of several of these houses in the northern part of Nokomis having ghosts. And, yeah, you know, it's interesting as I started looking into it for this show how many stories there are out there of this. Now, as I said to you, one of the show's biggest supporters and longest listeners has sent me a few excellent ghost stories. So, you know, Chris, thank you very much for sending these through. And I'm just going to read them off for you folks uh, as, as they were given to me. So the first one here, it says, I'll play it safe and keep it impersonal at first. When I was working as a property preservation officer, I would visit a lot of strange properties that had a history. One of those was a house that always maintained the same temperature, regardless of the outside temperature. The house had no utilities, but inside the upper story, it was always 68 degrees and the basement was always 48 degrees with high humidity on the floor level there was a pac-man game that wasn't plugged in oddly though every time i touched it it would flicker and try to boot in the basement was a busted pinball game that would do the same the basement was always cold and humid and the sheetrock was falling off the studs in the far corner of the house was a room that was bare even to of the carpet sorry 
It was a strange room because the floor was pressed wood that was oddly stained red wood. I would visit the property every couple of weeks for about a year. One day as I was mowing the yard, a young boy peeked over the fence and asked what I was doing. I told him I was mowing the yard. He said thank you and told me that it was a murder house. I asked him what he meant and he informed me that people were killed there. I went home and did some research on the address and found out that a father and son were killed there. A couple of weeks later, I got another work order for the location and was eager to return to discover more about the people who once lived there. I knocked on the neighbor's door, wanting to talk to the kid again and thank him for his information. A woman answered the door and I introduced myself and asked if her son, and I used his name, was home to thank him for introducing me to the story. She became very angry and agitated and had choice words for me as she told me to get lost in a censored response. Confused, I reread the news and realized that her child died that night from a stray bullet. I went home that night and looked up the kid's name and vomited when I saw his name and a picture of him in an old obituary. I also forgot to mention in the story that the kid asked if I would look for his black ball glove in the house. I found it and hung it out on the, on the fence. I serviced the house a while longer, and though the conditions of the house never changed, the game still did their thing, I never saw the kid again. The glove was still hanging on the fence when I was last there, and it still freaks me out to think about it. Well, Chris, you freak me out enough that, again, I'm not even kidding. The hair is standing up on my on the back of my neck and on my arms, and that one definitely trumps the tail I've got. But, wow, man, that's an awesome one. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. And anyone else, if, if you've got any stories like this that you'd like me to read on here, you know, flick them through. Um, I can always read them at any time. It's just I save these up for you for Halloween. So this is the second story from Chris. It says, another house that I serviced a couple of times was an old rural farm. And folks, again, for those of you who don't know how the Midwest is, there's a lot of these kind of rural properties that have fallen into disrepair. People move away or someone passes away and they don't have kids or the kids don't come back. And so you end up with these buildings that are just kind of falling apart. And there were a lot of them around our area that we all kind of knew that, you know, that farm was abandoned or that farm was abandoned. They might farm the land, but they just kind of most of the time they'll just leave the, uh, the buildings sit. So back to the story. Another house that I serviced a couple of times was an old rural farm. It had a lot of buildings that were falling in on themselves and had been empty for years. It as well had a very overgrown pasture of a lot of trees and grass that were around 8 to 12 feet tall. I was just assigned to do yard maintenance, but I would have to check these properties for problems and if there were squatters living there. As I was about to finish the yard, I saw an old man look outside the upstairs window for a moment. I went to the truck and grabbed my crowbar for protection, as I would offer squatters a chance to leave before calling the police. The key set for the door was old, but there was no compromised entrances to the house. I entered, calling out. All was quiet. The interior had not been disturbed in years. I could even see my footprints in the dust on the floor. There was just scarce furniture and papers laying around. I continued to call out as I swept through the rooms and still heard nothing. When I went upstairs to the room, I saw the person. He had an old medical bed, a medical toilet, and a nightstand. There was no one there, and 
hadn't been for a while. Sorry. Then I looked up. I looked out the window facing the pasture and realized there was another house completely hidden from the weeds and trees. I resecured the main house and thought I'd check out the other place. It had the same key set as the main house, and I went inside. This place was still completely furnished and pictures all over. They used to raise up show horses, it appeared, and you could see the generations of this family with their prized horses with trophies all over. Then one of the pictures I noticed, it looked like the old man in the window. By the mail that was laid around, the place had been empty for a decade. As I was getting ready to leave, a local farmer pulled into the property to see what was going on. I told him that I did maintenance on bank-owned properties, and I told him of my strange hallucination. He told me about the family and told me that his boy sees someone there when he mows their ditch. The old farmer said the old man died in that house, and he joked he didn't think he had yet to leave. Now look, folks, again, that's a really creepy one. And again, thank you so much, Chris, for sharing those stories. Um, I do believe that some people do have a very deep and lasting connection with this world. And for whatever reason it is, it sounds like with this gentleman, he, you know, there was something about it. It was about those show, show horses. It was probably his family land and he didn't want to leave. So I do find it quite interesting that, you know, he was looking out of the window, seemingly just glancing out the window, but he was looking in the direction of this other building that uh, Chris didn't even see. So look, man, that's another freaky one. And uh, it it's an excellent segue into my story for you tonight. So folks, this story is about the house that I lived in later on when we lived in Ullman. Now, to set a bit of a backdrop for you, you know, we moved there in about 1990-91. And, you know, being a younger boy, you know, kind of 12, 13, 14, and, uh, you know, didn't have a lot to do back then. Believe it or not, uh, we didn't have the internet. We only had three or four channels on TV. And especially in the summer, it gets very hot and humid in the Midwest. Those of you who have been there, you would know. And so you can't sleep, and especially during school holidays, you know, we'd have three months off. We didn't have a lot to do, didn't have a car, and, you know, my parents didn't feel like entertaining me. So because we lived in this very small town that you could walk from one side to the other, you know, pretty comfortably in about 15 or 20 minutes, we, uh, you know, we'd kind of go out at night, walk the streets. Everybody knew everybody. And, uh, you know, you just kind of go out. And as long as you didn't get into too much mischief, the police might stop once in a while and just make sure that you belong there and that you live there or whatever and you weren't causing trouble and they'd leave you be. Well, the whole background of this is that the mayor of the town was named Bob. And Bob used to walk the streets. He was an older man. He was in his 70s or 80s. And he used to walk the streets with an axe handle. Now, the reason he carried this axe handle around was we used to have, you know, kind of mutts or wild dogs running around, stray dogs. And so Bob would carry this around to kind of scare him off or raccoons or anything else he might run into, feral cats and, you know, just kind of prod them out or, or maybe a, a hornet's nest or a wasp nest. But, you know, Bob would always walk around and he was always quite friendly and quite nice. And, um, you know, I'll never forget he was always really friendly to me. And, you know, a lot of people kind of looked at me as a hoodlum, even though I wasn't. And a, and a lot of my, you know, other other friends, old people tend to, you know, look that way at young people. So, um, you know, anyway, I, you know, I knew Bob 
not well, but uh, he was an acquaintance and he was always nice and friendly. Well, a few years later, and off the top of my head, folks, this would be about 1993, 92 or 93, uh, Bob and his wife had been married over 50 years. Well, Bob's wife passed away. So, you know, I'm sure most of you have heard of what's called broken heart sickness. Uh, someone who's been with someone for many years like this, their partner passes away and they don't really have a reason to live, so they pass away. So sure enough, it was a few months later, you know, Bob's wife had passed away and Bob passed away in his home. Uh, Bob's son uh, and family, you know, they didn't really want the house. Uh, they'd since moved on and so they decided to sell the house. So guess who bought this house? Well, we bought this house, of course. Now, it's an older house. It would have been built in the 40s. And, you know, being in the Midwest and going through snow and everything else, uh, you know, it had kind of uh, aluminum or aluminum cladding on the outside. But inside, you know, it, it was really lovely wood. There was a lovely wooden staircase. And upstairs was all wood floors and, uh, you know, wood banisters and everything else. Well, my parents took the kind of master bedroom downstairs, and I had the upstairs to myself. So I had my own huge room, and then the other room was a spare room. But, I mean, my room was the size of many people's apartments, you know, was quite nice-sized room. Well, you know, so we lived there two or three years, and it started, you know, it started out kind of subtly. I, I would hear kind of weird things. Might hear a door, you know, close in the other room or open. And you'd think, well, it's probably just the breeze. But then, you know, I started realizing that um, those doors were locked oftentimes. So why were they opening? Why were windows that were locked and latched? You'd go in the room and they were open. And it got to where you started hearing creaking or, you know, what definitely sounded like someone was walking around on the floor. Well, look, uh, you know, here I was 15, 16. I had no doubt in my mind. It was Bob, you know, Bob had passed away in the house and I was sure it was him. So when I would hear this creaking or I'd hear this noise, I'd just go, hey, Bob, how you doing? And sure enough, after a while, you know, it would just kind of die down and stop. And upstairs, uh, you know, in my room, in the closet, there was this weird kind of crawl space up in the closet. So, you know, it's about the size of a, oh, probably a foot by a foot, maybe something like that. And, you know, you push it up and then there's an attic crawl to go up in the attic. Now, again, for those of you who have lived in the Midwest, you know, the summers are hot and humid. And, you know, the summertime, it's often mid to high 90s up into the hundreds. Well, you know, it was June or July, so it was quite hot. And I opened this crawl space. Now, look, we didn't have air conditioning. And... There's no windows up in the attic, but I opened that crawl space and I'm telling you, cold air flowed out of there. It felt like a refrigerator, you know, it felt like a big industrial refrigerator or a cool room that you just walked into that might be sitting about 40 degrees. And this cold air just came blowing out of that roof. And at the same time that I felt this cold air, I just, again, the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I closed that uh, crawl space and I said, nope, 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 nope. I'm not going up there because, you know, you're curious. You think, oh, there might be pirates treasure up there or who knows what framed uh, framed copy of the Declaration of Independence. But I'll tell you what, um, it only took that once and I was not interested in going up there. 
Well, anyway, like I said, you know, time went by and my parents would quite often be away or, you know, mom might be working and dad might be out of state. And so, you know, me and Bob, we got to be pretty good friends. You know, I was a big Cardinal fan. I'd always have on the AM radio. I'd always be listening to Cardinals games or, uh, you know, going outside, climbing up on the antenna to try and get in some of the St. Louis uh, TV stations. Because, again, this is the days when, you know, you didn't have uh, 500 channels at your fingertips. And again, you know, I'd hear these noises upstairs. I never heard anything downstairs. I'd always hear it upstairs. And I'd just call out, hey, Bob, everything all right? And, you know, I I didn't see anything, uh, but I definitely would hear these things. And the other thing is, you know, when you're in in a home or you're in a building and you either know that you're by yourself or you know someone's else, someone else is there. I don't mean being watched. I mean, you can feel like another entity is there with you. Well, I never felt alone in that house. Darkest at night, dead of winter, by myself, I never felt alone in that house. I always felt like someone was there, but it wasn't a negative feeling. Like I say, I didn't feel scared or I didn't have this feeling like, you know, Bob was out to get me. I just felt that Bob was always there with me. Well, you know, again, as I say, you know, I get older and, um, you know, I was about 17 and I'd become quite a little, you know, drinker and other things. And um, I hung out with a close friend of mine who's since passed away and he was 21. And, you know, I had a few other friends that were kind of 15, 16. And, you know, none of them were old enough to 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 uh, legally buy alcohol. So. You know, the one day, uh, me and my friend said, oh, we're going to go into town and go and get some some more booze. And I had three friends there, and I told them, you know, jokingly, I said, oh, make sure you stay quiet. Don't cause any trouble. Don't make too much noise because Bob doesn't like it. And, you know, they laughed. They had a good laugh, and we went away. We drove off to town, and we came back. It was probably half an hour. We came back, and we came in the house. And you got three kids who are drunk, and probably stoned and you know so they're a bit rambunctious i mean we listen to uh you know pretty heavy rock music and that and and like that kind of stuff all three of my friends are just sitting quiet as can be on the couch right next to each other just pushed up right next to each other and really pale and i said to them what the hell is going on you know and they said uh we we heard these noises upstairs we heard the doors opening and closing and and when we heard windows we heard footsteps and then we heard somebody banging on the banister of the uh of the uh uh stairs you know um who's up there i told him well it's bob and they didn't believe me but they were scared and i went upstairs and i checked it out and sure enough the doors that you know the door to the spare room that was locked was unlocked and open the uh the outside window that uh, in my room that was open was now closed. It had banged down. And um, the, you know, pretty sizable piece of wood that I had used to keep it from falling was kind of thrown out on the floor. And uh, I just went up there and I just said, Bob, look, uh, sorry, you know, it's my friends. Uh, it's my fault. I shouldn't have left them here alone. And, um, you know, we'll we'll keep it down. And I went back downstairs. And sure enough, no noise after that. And my my friends, they thought I was insane. They just said, you know, you just talk to him like he's there. And I said, well, he is there, you know, he's lonely. His wife's passed away. He's passed away in the house. And, you know, he's probably wondering what the hell is going on. So, you know, that's the story of Bob. And, you know, I left, um, I moved, um, 
and went to California. My parents sold the house not too long after that and followed me to California. Uh, so yet, look, I, I don't know if Bob's still in the house or not, but uh, look, I never had any bad interactions, but I'll tell you this much. After that, my friends never wanted to stay there alone. Anytime that uh, I remember the one time uh, my friend said, oh, we're going to go into town and get some beer. My other friend said, oh, I'll go and wait out on the porch. So after that, folks, that was it. They didn't want anything to do with staying in that house alone. So look, I hope you've really enjoyed all those Halloween tales. I hope it's something that uh, also gives you a little bit of uh, the Halloween spirit. Hopefully they didn't scare you too bad. I don't think they would have. But, um, you know, again, if you've got any that you'd like me to read on air, by all means, send them in. And I hope that you really did enjoy them. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week. And next week, I'll be back with another episode with the other 16, uh, you know, 16 stories from the state of Illinois. With that, folks, take care. Have a safe week. Enjoy yourself. And I'll talk to you soon.